This morning you're joining us, obviously we had parent dedication, we also baptized this morning, but you're joining us uh, on a weekend where we're wrapping up a little series we've done for the last, these three weeks after Easter entitled Shepherding Your Child's Heart. It's kind of been a change of pace series for us here at Redeemer, kind of our change up, our fastball at Redeemer is to work through books of the Bible or large chunks of scripture together, but we've been looking topically at this issue of parenting across the scriptures over the course of these last three weeks, and we'll land the plane on that series this this morning. Uh, last week we took a look at Deuteronomy chapter 6 and we talked about God's call and instruction in our lives as those of us who are raising children uh, to raise them with constant contact to the word of God. That he calls us to internalize the truths and the teachings of scripture about who God is and how we should respond to him. As we saw that he wants us to love him with all of our heart, soul, and might. That the words that he commands to us would be on our hearts. We internalize those things and then we instruct them. There's a personal response that we have to the great, majestic, and mighty God. And then a generational response as we pass down these truths from generation to generation as one generation would commend the works of the Lord to another. And so we have constant contact. And we talked about how as we have constant contact with the word of God, as we rise in the morning to get up and do breakfast, as we go to bed in the evenings and lay them down in their beds, as we go from place to place throughout the community and about our way, as, as we sit in our homes around the dinner table or on the couches, we're looking for teachable moments and we're instructing them with the, we're bringing scripture to bear upon their lives and the truths of God's word. And as they have constant contact, eventually that leaves an impression in their lives. It's kind of like that couch that you move that's been sitting on that carpet for about 20 years. It's time to change the carpets and you move the couch and there's that just big indentation there in the carpet because it's had constant pressure and contact on it. So even when you remove the weight, that mark is still there. And that's what we're aiming for as parents in the lives of our kids is that even whenever they launch out of our homes, they continue to walk with Jesus and honor Jesus and love Jesus all the days of their lives. That God would use that influence and that constant contact that we've had as we've exposed them to God's word all through their developmental seasons and stages. But at each stage and each season of life, as they grow and mature and progress, right, there are different big truths that we're wanting to impress upon their lives. And that's what we want to take a look at this morning. We'll look at developmentally in the, in the life of a child from the time they're born to the time that they leave home at 18 or 27, right? Whenever it is, they finally launch out of the, the, the homestead there. Uh, what are some of the big truths that we're wanting to impress upon them that will leave an indentation in their lives for the rest of their lives as they grow and mature? Right? So one of our goals in this parenting series has not been to have an exhaustive teaching on the issue of parenting. That would take a lifetime, right? Um, but what we've wanted to do, if you think of parenting like a, a, a mountain range, we can't look at every valley and every hill. We want to take a look at some of the larger peaks of that as we work through it. And that's what we're going to do this morning. And so as we take a look at a couple of Big truths we're wanting to see impressed upon the lives of our kids as they grow from infancy to childhood, through their childhood years and on into their teenage years and out of the home. We're going to take a look at three stages from infancy to childhood, childhood and teens. That should cover many of us in the room this morning as far as where our kids are developmentally or where your grandkids are developmentally or where your nieces and nephews are developmentally as they grow and mature and progress. And the first one is that, that era, that time, that season from infancy to childhood, right? As we keep stacking wood in the lives of our kids, one of the big logs we want to make sure that gets, that gets leveraged in their lives from infancy to childhood is the understanding of what it is to have submission to authority 
in their lives. I want to raise kids who understand submission to authority. Listen, in Ephesians chapter 6, coming out of the, his, the previous five chapters where Paul in chapters 1 to 3 lays out the gospel that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ. There is nothing that we do to climb the stairs to God, but he has come down the stairs to us and he has grabbed a hold of us by his grace and he has plucked us up out of our sin to save us and to sanctify us and to change us. And then you get to chapter four and Paul talks about the outworkings of that in our lives as our conduct begins to conform to our identity in Jesus. And then you get to chapter five, he talks more about the practical outworkings. The end of chapter five, he talks about husbands and wives and Christ and the church. And you get to chapter six and he applies some of the implications of the good news of Jesus to the home life. And listen to what he says in Ephesians 6, 1. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. There's a commandment that Paul gives there based on the gospel and drawing from the Old Testament as well that children ought to obey their parents. They ought to honor their parents in the Lord. He says, for this is the right thing for them to do and it's the first commandment given in the scriptures that has a promise attached to it that their lives, they may live long lives and things may go well for them, right? There's, there is, I've used this illustration before with my kids. Uh, They're nine and six now. Right? And I'm, I'm going to try, try to do a better job last, than, than I did last week of keeping them anonymous. Right? I just outed one of them last week big time and I have to just confess that and apologize. But I'm going to try and keep them more anonymous this week. But I've had these conversations with my kids over the course of those years from their infancy through childhood that, that, that have God's authority in their lives and by extension mommy and daddy's authority in their lives is like an umbrella. Right? It's like an umbrella for their protection. Right? If you stay under the umbrella, the rain doesn't hit you. You don't get soaking wet. But when you step outside of the umbrella, then the rain just falls all over you and you, get nasty. you, get, you just get nasty. Right? You used to come under the umbrella, you're protected. You step outside of the umbrella, you're exposed. Under the umbrella protection, outside of the umbrella, exposed to all the elements. And that's how God's authority is to function in our lives. He gives us commands because he desires for us to obey those things because he knows what's best for us. He knows how life works best because he designed it. He created us and formed us in his image. He knows how life is to work. And by extension, God has placed moms and dads in the lives of their kids to function because for a, a, a four-year-old or a three-year-old, God is this big thing out there. But mommy and daddy, they're right here. You can see them. They're visible. And they function as an extension of God's authority in the lives of their kids. And that's why Paul says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It's how God's designed it to work, that they would learn what it means to submit to authority. And they would honor and they would obey. All right, they would honor and obey. And so in, in the, in the, if, if you think about this idea of honor, when it says in verse two of Ephesians six, honor your father and mother, honor them. What does it mean to honor them? It means to hold them in high regard, to esteem them highly. Now, kids do not come hardwired that way out of the box, okay? You don't open the package and they go, I want to esteem you highly and obey you and listen without, and I want to come under your umbrella of authority that God has extended to you for my good, Father, right? They don't come hardwired that way. They have to be instructed. They have to be taught. They have to be trained to honor. And parents, listen. If you want your kids to honor you, then you have to conduct yourselves in an honorable fashion with them. 
I mean, you can't just fly off the handle at the whim of a moment because you had a hard day. You have to conduct yourselves honorably, right? And so there's, there's this sense in which kids are to honor, they're to esteem and respect their parents, and parents are to conduct themselves in an honorable fashion, but they're also to obey their moms and dads. And this should be an expectation in your home if you're raising kids, that they would respect and they would obey. And obedience is, is an issue that, that it gets kind of muddy at times because sometimes our kids don't have a lot of consistency when it comes to the, our expectations of them as far as their obedience, right? If on Monday, if on Monday, right, you give them 17 warnings uh, about something that you've told them to do and say, well, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this, and then the consequences come in, but on Tuesday there's no warnings, then on Wednesday there's three warnings, and then on Friday there's seven, and then the weekend they don't get any, they just get to do whatever they wanna do, Monday starts all over again. If there's no consistency in that, then they have no idea what to expect because obedience, obedience is, if you define obedience this way, it's a willing submission to someone else's authority. It's a willing submission to someone else's authority. And that willing submission in, in the lives of our kids, one of the things we need to teach them is that willing submission comes, should come from them without challenge, without delay, and without excuses. Without challenge, without delay, and without excuses. Listen, I don't know about you, but in most families, there's a little lawyer, okay? Right? A little lawyer who's just growing up underneath your roof and one day he's going to go on to win lots of cases. Um, but in, in, whenever you say to him, at that age, you say to him, hey, you need to go brush your teeth, put on your pajamas and get in bed, right? They want to argue everything. And they're, they're just rationalizing and reasoning out all these arguments in their mind. They want to challenge you on every single point. But obedience comes without challenge. I don't know about you, but in lots of homes, there's also not only a lawyer, but there's also a little volcano, right, who just kind of melts down, not with reason, but with just emotion, right? And they just melt down whenever not, they don't get their way and they're not in control, right? And so there's, there's, there's those, at least those two kinds of kids, but listen, obedience for both of them is without challenge, without pushing back every time you ask them to do something, without delay, right? One of the things we used as a refrain in our home during those years was you, you need to obey without delay. It's a little Dr. Susie, but it, it works. You need to obey without delay. It's, it, it sticks in their minds, right? And without excuses about why, well, well, well we don't have to get up in the morning, Right? We don't have anything to get up for in the morning. Right? And they just want to push back and push back and push back. But obedience, it should be expected and honor should be expected within the home. And if you expect anything less than that of your kids, then I think you're setting them up for failure in life. Because they won't learn what it is to submit to authority. Now some of us in the room, we have issues with authority. And a part of the reasons we may have issues with authority is because maybe we were raised in an environment or had interactions with people who didn't understand the true nature of authority, but they were authoritarian. There's a difference between those two things. There's a difference between exercising authority and being authoritarian, okay? If you look in Matthew chapter 20, we're told Jesus has this dialogue with James and John's mother, and they come to him, she comes to him seeking the left hand and right hand, positions of authority and prestige and privilege whenever Jesus comes in the fullness of his glory and to inaugurate the fullness of his kingdom, right? They want to be the ones who are seated on his left and right. And he says, I can't dispense that to you. It's not mine to give. But I, I ask you this question, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? In other words, can you suffer the way that I'm about to suffer? And they're like, yes, Jesus, we can do it. And he says, well, it's still not mine to give. 
And he goes on to challenge them on the, the, the nature of how they understood positions of power and positions of authority and positions of prestige. And listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 20. Because all the other disciples got indignant. And in verse 25 it says, but Jesus called them, all the disciples to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And who will be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now listen, this text is not about parenting. I get it. But what it's about is the nature of authority and how it is exercised. Jesus says, authority is never given to an individual for their sake, but authority is in is pressed into natural structures for the sake of those who are under it. For their good, for their well-being, for their protection, not for my privilege and convenience. And oftentimes, oftentimes, parents, I don't know about you, but I'm tempted at times to just roll my kids over by being authoritarian for the sake of silence and not hearing the arguing and bickering any longer in the home. And I just want them to submit so that I can have a little peace and quiet. Oftentimes, I'm tempted to exercise my authority for self-serving ends and goals, not for their good. And Jesus says that is wrong. That is not why authority is vested in certain people. See, as parents, the authority that you possess in the life of your kid is not for you, but for them. To bring them back under the umbrella of God's authority and protection because your ultimate aim is not to raise kids who are gonna ask you what to do and when to do it and how long to do it and where to do it whenever they're 30. Right? You want to raise them to make independent decisions as they launch out into adulthood. But the, one of the ways you do that is by modeling for them what those wise decisions look like from the time they're born to the time they get up into their childhood years by bringing them under the umbrella of God's authority because you want them to learn one day to submit to him, not to you. And if, you, and if we don't expect that, if we don't expect honor and obedience coming from them, that they obey without challenge and without delay and without excuses. Now listen, some of you are gonna have to go back to your kids and say, look, I may have given you a little bit too long of a leash and I need to pull some things back in. And here are the new, here are the new expectations in our home because one day I want you to learn to walk with God and submit to him because his ways and his will and his word, they are good for you. They are good for you. Now listen, expecting immediate obedience from your kids, some of you are like, man, that is... You, you have no idea what the realities of my life look like. Well, I want to go ahead and tell you I do, okay? Again, I have a nine and a six-year-old. But one of the things that you can, as, as whenever they learn to submit to authority, one of the things you can teach them then is how to appeal upwards to those who are in authority over them, right? Because sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes you come home from a long day and like there's no dog to kick and so the kids, right? Um, and hopefully you don't kick them, but like you're, you take out some of that pent up emotion or aggression on them. And so like it's, it's 6.45, the normal bedtimes, 8.30, you're like, go brush your teeth, put on your pajamas and get in bed. I don't want to deal with it anymore. They're like, but I'm in the middle of coloring a picture. Right? But if they learn to submit to authority, then they will begin to move toward what you've asked them to do. And as they move to obey, then they can appeal. They can say, but, but, 
like I'm going to brush my teeth, but can I have 10 more minutes to color to finish my picture? And what that process of appeal does, listen, what it does is it saves them from our whims. (laughs) It saves them from our bad days. It saves them from our emotional meltdowns. Because sometimes in the moment we will tell them to do something and five minutes later we go, man, that was probably really irrational. (laughs) At least I do. I don't know if you have that problem. I know I do. But they can appeal upwards toward the authority, but they have to learn to submit to authority. One day they're gonna have teachers they have to submit to. One day they're gonna have bosses they have to submit to. One day they're gonna have the, the mutual submission one to another within the home. And, and one day ultimately want them to learn to live under that umbrella of God's authority. And so from infancy to childhood, it's one of the big logs we're trying to impress in the lives of our kids. They would obey without delay and without excuse and without argumentation and challenge. And we do that by consistently reinforcing that and expecting that and delving out consequences when they fail to do that. See, consequences, it's better for your kids to experience consequences now, measured consequences from a mom and dad who love them than unmeasured consequences one day whenever they step outside the umbrella of God's authority and they run their life off the rails. So from infancy to childhood, you wanted you, you want to instill in them this idea of submitting to authority. And as they move on into grade school, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, as they move into what would be kind of known as, known as kind of that, that middle years of childhood, right, as they move from being an infant in the home, they move into school age years, whether they're in your home, homeschooling, or they move into an elementary school here in the community, um, that kind of period from six to 12, in the childhood years, the, one of the big logs you want to drop in their lives is this, is the idea of character development. Because there are days that are coming, there are days that are coming where if you're homeschooling, they're going to be maybe in a co-op or they're going to be playing on a sports team or they're going to be outside of your uh, umbrella of authority in that moment. Or if they're going to school, they're going to have, you know, six hours a day, seven hours a day outside of your purview where you can see them and witness them and watch them. And you want to begin to have conversations with them about their character because you're not going to be there to say, hey, do this and don't do that. They're going to be on their own, learn, learn, beginning to learn to navigate the world. And what you want to see being cultivated in their lives is character. Character. Listen, in Galatians chapter five, there's a great text many of us are familiar with where Paul speaks of the the, the distinction between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. See, when God comes to save and he comes to get a hold of our hearts, that's what God's after. He comes to get a hold of our hearts and he takes out the heart of stone that once rebelled against God and places a heart of flesh that is submissive to him and walks in his ways. Then God begins, the Holy Spirit moves in as we come to faith in Jesus. The Holy Spirit moves in and he begins to unpack his bags. And he's got a lot of bags to unpack, right? It takes him a lifetime to unpack his bags as he progressively forms us in the image of Christ. And he begins to plant seeds in our lives that will one day begin to bear fruit. And Paul says, the fruit that the Holy Spirit bears in a life that has been transformed by the grace of God is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And listen, at the end of verse 23 in Galatians chapter 5, what you see is that Paul makes this very short but very profound statement when he says, against these things there is no law. 
In other words, there is no way to externally manufacture or regulate love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. You can't set an external standard and tell your kids, if you do these things and don't do these things, then your heart will cultivate joy. Your heart will cultivate self-control. Your heart will cultivate gentleness. See, those are things that are coming out of the heart, flowing downstream into the life, a heart that's been transformed by God's grace and is being renewed by the presence and power of his Holy Spirit. And you, as a Christian parent, you want to see that kind of character and that kind of fruit beginning to be cultivated in the lives of your kids as they respond to God's grace in Jesus Christ. That's what you want to begin to see in their lives that kind of development of character. But oftentimes what we settle for in our kids' lives is not the cultivation of character, but we settle for conformity to external standards. Right? You ever play play limbo before? Right? Where you you got the bar, right? And you, and you slow, the bar starts up here and you slowly just kind of lower the bar down until, you know, you're kind of like doing a little crab walk to try and get up underneath that thing, right? Well, typically we think of the Bible raising the bar, but I want you to consider in that analogy, the Bible lowers the bar really, really low down here, where it's almost where it's impossible to get under without God doing something internally in our hearts to change us. But what we do oftentimes, we want to raise the bar up here, where we say, here's an external standard. If you just conform to that external standard, then things will go well in our home. And we're not driving to get at our children's heart to cultivate their character. We're just content with setting up an external standard. But see, here's part of the problem with that. See, when you think of discipline and think of correction in the home, oftentimes, oftentimes, my wife and I, what we determined um, based on what we believe scripture taught that children should honor and obey their parents is that what we would discipline for was disrespect and disobedience. Those two things. We wouldn't discipline for childish behavior, right? So here's what I mean by that. Like come in the room and the house rules, right? We, we set out as no, no jumping on the couch, right? You come in the room and your child is jumping on the couch. Where they're, if, if they're five, six, seven years old, they, there is a tendency, yes, for them to be caught up in the emotion of the moment and jump on the couch and they're jumping on the couch, right? There's, that's childish behavior. But if you tell them, hey, stop jumping on the couch, let's get down, and they look at you and just keep going, That is what we would discipline for. That is dishonoring, that is disrespecting, that's disobedience, right? That's what we would discipline for. And so we would 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 discipline for dishonor and disobedience, not for childish behavior, because we're trying to get to their heart, not just the external conformity to this standard, because there are some things that are not dishonoring to you and they are not disobedient to you, but they're still destructive for the child. For instance, selfishness. Right? A child can, can, can be, have an incredibly selfish heart, but not dishonor you or disobey you. Right? They can snatch a toy up from their brother, or they can ridicule someone else, but not be defying you in the moment or disrespecting you in the moment, but they can ridicule their brother or their sister. Right? They can have heart issues that need to be addressed under the surface. Let me give you an illustration. I wanted to cultivate and develop character. Right? And so the conversation went, goes like, went like this in our home earlier, t- t- two weeks ago. Like all this stuff's been so fresh on my mind. 
as we've been working through this. So uh, it, was, it was early in the morning. We were getting ready to go off to school. I had both my kids. They were dressed. Uh, they were ready to walk out the door. And I asked one of them, who will remain nameless, I hope, throughout the story, to go get the lunches out of the refrigerator. And so they went out and got their lunches out of the refrigerator and brought them over to where the backpacks are normally kept and set them there. Now the other sibling who was standing there um, got their lunch, put it in their backpack and just proceeded to walk right off. Now one of them who has a, the other one who, who went got the lunches had a deep entrenched sense of justice. And so I just hear this voice crying out from the foyer area, daddy, they didn't tell me thank you. Now, if, you know, here, here's how the conversation, if you're just gonna aim for an external standard, what do you do? You call that child over, you say, tell your sibling thank you. Thank you. All right, go get in the truck and let's go to school. Right? But if you're trying to get to their heart, if you're trying to cultivate character and develop character and see the work that only God can do in their life, then the conversation goes like this. And by God's grace, I had one of those moments where I actually felt like it was a win as a dad not a loss, but I called the one who had not expressed that kind of thankfulness over and I said, hey, when somebody serves you, when somebody meets a need of yours, what should be the appropriate response in that moment? And he goes, thank you. I sold him out again. (laughs) I knew it was gonna happen. Thank you. So I said, no. No, what should your heart feel in the moment in which somebody has stepped into a need that you had, helped meet that need, and they have served you? To which the child responds, I, I, don't, I, I don't know where I'm going with this anymore or how I'm gonna mitigate this, but to which he responded, gratefulness. I said, yes. And out of that heart of gratitude, what should be your, how, what words should you communicate? He said, thankfulness, thank you. I said, yeah. I said, but you see that comes from in here. It's not a robotic exercise where you just conform to this standard and then we go about our day. No, what the, 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 the response of a grateful heart is to move towards someone and express that gratitude. And then I called the little justice seeker over as well. <laughs> and I got down on my knee and I looked at her And I said, when you serve someone, do you serve them for appreciation? Do you serve them for recognition? Do you serve them for their gratefulness back to you? Or do you serve because your heart is overflowing with kindness and you wanna meet a need that they have? Which one is better? She said, kindness. Right, if you just have the external behavior, then your children will never come to wrestle with the tension that what they What's, what's not bubbling up out of their heart is what God says should be bubbling up out of their heart. And they will never recognize that they need a new one. If they can always just kind of, if the bar just keeps getting raised and they can keep walking under that external standard that we've set. So you're aiming to cultivate character and you're aiming to cultivate character in three areas. One in their Godward orientation, the other in their self-orientation, the other in their orientation toward others. Listen, and, and this particular content comes straight out of Ted Tripp's book, Shepherding a Child's Heart. He asks a series of questions. Don't feel like you gotta write all these down. Go pick up a free copy of, your book, of the book on your way out and you'll have a copy of these questions. But I just want you to let these land on you for a moment about how you, 
how you analyze and cultivate character in the life of your kid by asking questions and you don't sit down and ask a six-year-old you know, 17 questions in a row, but you just analyze and you think about what you're observing in the life of your child and you lean into that as you constantly are in contact with the word of God pressing into their lives. And their Godward orientation, are they living in a conscious need for God? And what is the content of their relationship with God? Are they concerned to know and love God? Is God a source of strength and comfort and help or do they turn aside to other things for sor- as sources of strength and comfort and help whenever they experience disappointment or frustration? Do they make choices that reflect knowing God? Are they moved by God's ways and truth? Are they alive to spiritual realities? Is there any evidence that they're carrying on a relationship with God independent from you as their parent trying to push them towards that? Are there false gods before which your children bows? What are the things without which they cannot be happy? What things other than God seem to motivate them and how would they finish the sentence? What I really want, what I really deeply long for and desire and esteem is. These are some just character cultivation questions you're asking about your child as they develop and grow. Are they cultivating this Godward orientation of dependence, of knowing that God is their strength, of knowing that God is their help, of knowing that God is, their, is, 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 is gracious to them even though they have rebelled and run away? That they need him. In their self-orientation, several questions. How does your child think about themselves? How do they understand themselves? Are they aware of the strengths and weaknesses of the the, the distinctions of their personality? Are they self-conscious about their personality, about those uniquenesses, the things that make them a little bit different than everyone else around them? What attitude do they have toward themselves? Are they shy or confident, arrogant or defiant? Are they chained by fears? Are they paralyzed in front of people? Are they able to extend themselves to others? Do they have a false dependence on others? Do they feel better than others or if they're, as if they're inadequate in comparison to others? Right? How do they view themselves? And then your child's orientation to others as well. What are their relationships like with others? How do they interact with others? What sort of relationships do they have? What do they bring out in other people? What do other people bring out in them? Are they always, do they always have to be in control in the relationship or are they always being controlled in a relationship? Are they pleasant with other children their age? How do they deal with disappointment in people because it's gonna happen? How do they respond to being sinned against? What are the areas of relational strengths they have? What areas of weaknesses do they possess? And so you're asking these questions about each individual child that you have and go, what, what's going on in their heart? And then you're appealing to their conscience, not just the external conformity of the behavior, but to their conscience. Do you see that what you're doing is not coming from a heart of kindness, but a heart that wants to be recognized, a heart that wants to be appreciated? Do you see that all you're doing is just externally shrugging your shoulders and giving me a very, very non-heartfelt response when there's no really gratitude bubbling up inside? And so in this in, in, in season of childhood, you want to cultivate and develop character in the lives of your kids by analyzing where they are with God, analyzing where they are with themselves, and analyzing where they are with others and helping them navigate those roads and seeing the Holy Spirit as he awakens them to the truth and beauty of Jesus begin to cultivate some of those character qualities in them because they realize that the bar down here is really low and, they, and the Bible is really low and they can't get under it. They need Jesus. And then finally, as they move from childhood into adolescence into those teen years. Listen, teen years 
There's, for, for those of you in the room who have teenagers or had teenagers, right, they typically tend to be years of just, just honestly in our culture of rebellion in which some kids kind of go off the rails. And a part of that rebellion in teenage years, listen, is a, is a misguided attempt at individuality and stepping toward independence that you want to see as a parent, right? It's just a misguided attempt at it. Because right, over the course of time, when your kids are real young, right, authority is really high and you don't really need to influence them a whole lot because you say, I need you to do this, I need you to do that and they, they, you've, you've trained them to respond without challenge, without delay and without excuses. But over the course of time, as your children develop and grow and mature, eventually that, that level of authority that you have in their life is gonna go down into the right but the level of influence that you have in their life, you hope will go up into the right. And so you move from being authority in their life to almost a coach that's helping them process and make decisions for themselves. You're not just telling them what to do any longer. As, as they emerge into, into those, te- those late teen years and you begin to relate to them less like a child and more like an adult. You begin to have conversations with them like that. And some of that rebellion that you experience in those teen years is just that misguided attempt at trying to find that individuality and that independence. Who am I gonna be outside of mom and dad's umbrella when I stand under the umbrella of God's authority for myself? But some of the rebellion that you experience in teen years, let me say something to those of you who have young kids right now. Some of the rebellion you experience in those teen years is the fruit of seeds that are being planted today. Some of us may perhaps be provoking our children to anger. As Paul says in Ephesians chapter six as well, when he says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Some of us may be provoking them to anger. And we may be provoking them to anger because of our absence or because of our abrasiveness. Some of us, by our lack of engagement and involvement in our kids, are leaving them to flounder and flop for themselves to try and figure out why they're doing what they're doing and they don't ever have character cultivated. They just fly under the radar of mom and dad's external standards and they get to their teen years and that, that, that those seeds, when they never learned to submit to authority, that were planted at a young age and character that was never cultivated ultimately produces that fruit of rebellion and they go off the rails and they end up in a ditch somewhere because either we were absentee parents in their young years or we were incredibly abrasive and everything was pushing them away and they were just waiting right a seven-year-old can't rebel very well right they're not big enough (laughs) they're not strong enough they don't have enough independence they still need you but for some of us because of our absentee parenting perhaps or our abrasion and the way that we interact with them, there's always harsh interactions. We're planting seeds, and one day when that child is big enough and has enough independence, it was latent rebellion that lay under the surface all along, just waiting to bear fruit. And my, 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 my prayer for you as your pastor, for those of you who are within this church, is that even in these young years, you'd be planting seeds Submission to authority, cultivation of character, you'd be present and you'd be compassionate in your interactions with them. So as they mature into their teen years, you're still someone that they know they can find compassion and grace from, but also truth.
And as they emerge into those teen years, one of the big logs you want to lay in their life, and we're gonna land in playing with this, is, is this. It's this idea that we find in the scriptures of the fear of the Lord. In Proverbs chapter one, in verse seven, we're told this. The author of Proverbs says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. I don't know any parent that would raise their hand and say, listen, I wanna raise my kids so that whenever they emerge out into adulthood on their own, they take the wheel and jerk it hard to the right and they end up in a ditch and their life goes completely off the rails. No one wants that. We wanna raise kids that make wise decisions, God-honoring decisions. And the author of this proverb says that starts with a healthy fear of the Lord. Because you see, your kids, if, if your kids as they emerge into adulthood, they're gonna make decisions not based on what they know. Because you don't make decisions based on what you know, do you? I don't. You make decisions based on what you love and what you worship. Those are the guiding and governing principles of your heart. What you give your heart to, what you love and what you worship is what will determine the decisions that you make. And for many people, instead of the fear of the Lord governing their heart, they have an unhealthy fear of man that has a grip on their heart. And that so often emerges and expresses itself through the teen years, doesn't it? Those of you who have teenagers right now or you can remember back to when you did, or if you can remember back to when you were a teenager, you remember, you remember at times that unhealthy fear of man that would begin to rise. What are they gonna think about me if I do this? What are they gonna say about me? How are they gonna respond to me? And so all of our decisions and all of our choices are gonna be built off of who we are fearing, who we are worshiping, who we are loving, who we hold in highest esteem and greatest regard in our hearts. And if that is other people, if that is other people, then we'll find ourselves in a position where we're gonna be, our, our, your kids are gonna be going rails off the rails. See, most of us think that our kids, our teenage kids became rebellious because they got into high school and they got around all these bad influences. Right? They got around all, you know, these guys who you know, wearing the black shirts with life sucks written across the front all day and they, were, you know, they had black fingernail paint all over. They, like, they got around all these bad influences, listening to bad music and watching bad shows, going to bad places, and so my kid rebelled. Listen, those external influences, they do have some shaping power in the life of your kid, but you know where that starts. It doesn't start because they got around these kids who were bad influences on them. They started because their heart was rebelling against God. That's where it starts. Because they were respected and revered and esteemed and valued the opinion of others more than they did of him. Because they had a desperate thirst in their life for approval. For someone else to say they're pretty. For someone else to esteem them as attractive or a capable athlete or a capable academician in their schools and studies. They wanted that respect from man not to honor the Lord. And one of the big logs that you're wanting to lay in the life of your kids, if you want them to grow up to make wise, God-honoring, Christ-exalting decisions is to teach them about the fear of the Lord in their lives during these years. One of the ways that you can do that is by opening 
God's word to the prophets and reading the, 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 the minor prophets, the major prophets with your kids. Because what those, what those books do is they create a big view of God for us. Oftentimes our kids have such an unhealthy fear of man because they have a very small view of God. Not a very big one. But the prophets lift the lid off of our view of God as one who is holy and just and righteous. Not just this God who's buddy-buddy with us and wants to hold our hand and skip through the meadow of daisies. But a God who is a consuming fire. But a God who is just. A God who is holy. A God who judges sin and yet saves sinners. Give him a big view of God but then also share with them about your own experiences of how you have wrestled with the fear of man. Some of you are are wrestling with it right now, maybe in your workplace with a boss or with a coworker. You're afraid of what their opinion of you is going to be whenever you make a particular decision that you think is best and and God-honoring and healthy, maybe for the organization or the company, but you don't know how it's gonna be received by everyone else around you. And you're wrestling with that fear, having enough transparency with your kids to own that and show them that you are not bulletproof, but that you need Jesus just as badly as they do. The fear of the Lord. It's a big log. Character development, submission to authority, all these are big truths over these developmental stages and seasons of our kids' lives that we want to see pressed in on them with constant contact so that whenever they are out from underneath our umbrella, they are healthy underneath God's umbrella and they live under his authority for their good. Let me pray for us. Father, we come this morning. We're grateful for your grace. God, grateful for your mercy that is new every morning, for your steadfast love that endures forever. God, we're grateful that that in our lives, God, did you, for those of us who have turned from sin to trust in Jesus, who've been saved by your grace, God, that you take our sins and you cast them as far as the east is from the west and you remember them no more. And Father, I pray that the good news of the gospel, that Jesus lived in our place, that he died in our place, that he rose from the grave in order that everyone who would trust in and treasure him might be seen through the lens of the cross and might be might be pardoned of all their sin and might be eventually purified of all those deep roots that have taken root in their hearts. And God, as we as adults, parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles, as we internalize those very truths, God, I pray that you'd help us to instruct them, instruct our kids in them. God, we need your grace to do so. We cannot do it apart from you, God. We have no power to save our children. Only you're able to do that, God, but maybe be faithful at stacking wood and putting logs into that fire pit of submission to authority of cultivating character by appealing to their conscience and not just setting external regulations and teaching them what it looks like to live with a healthy fear of the Lord. Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.